1: Welcome to Eyewitness, I'm Katie Gossett, and we all get caught up in history without even trying to. And today I'm off to visit Baden, whose story involves one of the biggest industrial disputes this country has known. I move that this House
0: approves and confirms the action of the government.
1: Thousands of men off work and some living on the breadline. Many of the country's industries at a standstill and the government taking action of the most serious kind.
0: Advising His Excellency the Governor-General to declare the existence of a state of emergency.
1: But back to Baden. Baden Norris. I've known him for years.
0: Hi. Hello, hello. Hi. How are you? Not too bad. Still standing up.
1: And Baden hails from the port town of Littleton.
0: It was the centre of the universe when I was a kid. I was born and bred in Littleton, as my father was and my grandfather was, so I'm Littleton material. I never wanted to be anywhere else.
1: At the age of 13, he goes to work in a factory. At 15, he's away to sea, but by his early 20s, Baden is back in Littleton, married with a child, and working on the waterfront. So this episode of Eyewitness takes us back to his hometown, to the Littleton of the 1950s.
0: Over the wharves go almost a billion tons of cargo, and primary industries like meat and wool account for almost two-thirds of it. 750 watersiders handle this cargo. It probably starts at about 6 a.m. in the morning with the arrival of the ferry from Wellington. The streets are continually bustling with traffic, and you had 700 men at 8 o'clock coming down to work on the waterfront, so it was an incredibly busy place.
1: So Baden is one of those men coming down from the hills to work on the wharves and it's a place where he finds camaraderie, a sense of having joined a club. But just five months in, the job also brings trouble. A small
0: group of men possessing great power in our industrial system declared war on the people by calling a strike in one of our principal key industries.
1: So this dramatic announcement by the then Prime Minister, Sydney Holland, shows us how the government views this dispute. But there is another side to the story. The issue is money, as it often is. New Zealand is emerging from the Second World War and the government offers workers a wage increase, except that the waterfront workers have to apply to a separate tribunal for the same increase and they're turned down, ostensibly because their income is already quite high.
0: Simply because of the long hours they worked, a lot of overtime. So they said, we will refuse overtime until we get some satisfaction. And of course that's how it all started.
1: And so the workers' union, the Trade Union Congress, which by this stage in the game has splintered off from the main union, the Federation of Labour, makes a stand. But their employer responds by saying, if they don't do the overtime, they can't work at all a major dispute begins. And I say dispute because while the port, the government, the employers call this a strike, for the workers, it's a lockout.
0: It was probably my blackest period of my life because I had no money. I had a daughter that was in the hospital with melanoma and uh, you couldn't get another job. You'd be pretty unpopular if you did.
1: And suddenly even day-to-day living is hard.
0: Fortunately, I had a lot of fowls in those days and they all laid eggs. I also grew a lot of potatoes, so we lived to a large extent on eggs and chips.
1: But the workers stay strong. They meet regularly in the local community hall and organise themselves into teams to collect and distribute food.
0: In the dead of night, we'd go over to the west coast because a lot of miners were up with us and take food and stuff with them, and then we'd take coal back. To give to an elderly.
1: By now there are 8,000 watersiders out of work around the country. The miners, Baden refers to there, are among another 4,000 workers who've gone out in sympathy with the Wharfies. And the very restrictive emergency regulations passed by the government are beginning to take a
0: toll on the men. It was illegal, for instance, for a mother to feed her son. One would think that would be impossible, but it was at a long stage that you were not allowed to and the
1: same regulations make it hard for workers to access the food they've stashed at their depot.
0: You were watched by the police all the time, so you had to use a knickerpin or something to do it. I always feel sad that my mother, my dear mother, would have to sneak up on the depot in a big overcoat so that nobody could see what she was carrying. That really saddened me. Yeah, tough times.
1: Tough too are rules that give police wide powers to stop men and
0: search them. There's one chap when he was walking along, and the policeman said, What do you got there? He said, Sandpaper. It was sandpaper, but this chap really exploded at this and he was arrested and uh, I think spent two or three weeks in jail. Uh, those sort of things you wouldn't think would have happened in New Zealand.
1: But most damaging to Baden and his family are the rules preventing travel, as his daughter lies sick in a Christchurch hospital.
0: We weren't allowed to leave the port. She was in there for, I think, six weeks. And that was the darkest moment, you know, when you couldn't even do what any child should expect. You know, your parents be coming in on visitors a day and so on. You would be the only person that doesn't have visitors.
1: In this instance, Bain is lucky. An aunt lends him money to travel by train to see his daughter and she makes a full recovery. But others remain resolutely against the waterfront workers, in part because of broadcasts like
0: these. By now it is plainer than ever that the people who really suffer from disturbances like the present strike are the innocent people, the housewives, the shopkeepers. Well, since Monday... We have had no supplies.
1: I find myself completely without any meat for the weekend. It's thought by some that these accounts are staged at the request of the government to turn public sentiment against the waterfront workers. As part of the restrictive regulations introduced, media too are prohibited from reporting the wharfies side of the story.
0: Nothing was to be printed that supported the water scientist at all. And the newspapers took it like a lamb. One would have thought that object to the fact that their media is being interfered with, but they didn't.
1: And over time, the dispute divides the town.
0: Even at school, the annual picnic had to be postponed because of the bitterness of children and men who took the waterside as jobs. And their children were in the same class as the men who were out of work and the kids were not fed properly.
1: And he says that bitterness has never really gone away.
0: You hear a lot of people talking about somebody and they'll say oh yeah but his father scabbed so the community was split right down the middle.
1: But in the end the men can't continue. After 151 long days worn down the workers return to the wharves on the government's terms. Life goes on but for return servicemen who make up a large percentage of the waterfront workforce the impact is deeper.
0: A lot of men thought that they've done their duty and so on, but they were branded by the government as the enemies of the state. You know, that's what saddened me mainly. Certainly a lot of ex-servicemen never got over that. What about you? I don't think I've got over it. I'm often ashamed of myself. I'm I'm living in the past. My bitterness that I have comes from there, and it's, what, 60, 70 years old. I mean, a lot of people say, oh, get a life. Forget all about that, but I, I can't forget it. I, I'd like to be able to, but deep in my head, i still bitter. I'm still bitter. To be branded as a enemy of the country is you know, a thing that sticks a my crawler.
1: And he says it's a lesson in New Zealand history that not everyone wants to hear.
0: You can see their eyes roll up and say, "Oh God, this silly old guy's still living in the past." Well. I can't help that. I've got an awful lot of past, but I haven't got a lot of future. So my thoughts are mainly in the past.
1: In fact, it's been a very rich past for Baden. He spent many years involved in archaeological projects, as well as lecturing on and touring the Antarctic. He's written books and taken many trips down to the ice. But the waterfront dispute remains a defining period in his life and witness to some of the worst and best in human nature.
0: One man, that I never knew who he was, came down to shake my hand on London Street in Littleton. And when I opened my hand, he had 10 shilling notes and pressed into my And he he took off into the crowd without me even to to thank him. But every now and again, some act of kindness would drop off something. They may not have sympathised with what you were doing, but they just couldn't see you starve, as it were. You never knew who dropped it or what you gate it to be perhaps a bag of fruit or something like that, you know. It had its darkest moments, but it also had its brightest moments too.
1: Littleton's a different place these days. It's still busy with a bustling farmers market at the weekends, good venues, good coffee, and people who have a nice view of the port. But to Baden, it's different.
0: It's only a ghost of what it used to be, because it's no longer linked with the port. A lot of people in Littleton now wouldn't know what ships were in because you're not allowed on the waterfront anymore. So the town is divorced completely from the waterfront.
1: And for men who lived and worked there in 1951, in some ways the ghosts are still there. The memories, the experience, still a big part of this little port town.
0: It's a bit like war. It's the most exciting period of your life if you have to be unfortunate enough to be participating in it. I'd never recommend it to anyone.
1: This podcast was produced and presented by me, Katie Gossett, with Tim Watkin as executive producer, and the archival audio comes from Nga Kaonga Sound and Vision. If you enjoyed it, you can review us on iTunes, and while you're there, have a listen to RNZ's other historical podcasts, like New Zealand Wars, the stories of Rua Pekka